Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hello there, and welcome to uh, a Monday. <laughs> the last Monday in November of 2019, to be exact. Uh, which means we're a month away from 2020, a year we've all been eagerly awaiting in the hopes that it will finally be the year we we jettison uh, Donald Trump in one way or the other. And uh, I would hope jettison all of his enablers in the so-called Republican Party, a party that no real Republican would even recognize anymore. I want to point out um, the disquieting news, I'm sure you're aware of it, of uh, uh, Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's uh, hospitalization this weekend. Uh, she has been released and is uh, back home, but let's not kid ourselves. In the course of just this year, uh, she has been diagnosed with a tumor on her pancreas. She has received uh, radiation treatments. Uh, a year ago, last December, she underwent surgeries uh, to remove cancerous growths from her left lung. Uh, she has beaten back a number of uh, a number of serious uh, medical conditions, but. She is an 86-year-old woman, and um, God help us, uh, if she uh, dies uh, while Donald Trump is president, you can say goodbye to the Supreme Court for uh, the, rest, the rest of our lives. Um, can you imagine having your your life, your existence, uh, be that consequential. I mean, to an entire nation, maybe to the world, to the hopes and dreams of... I mean, the fact is the court's already uh, in the Republicans' pocket. But one more appointment by uh, the Republicans, and it will be in their pocket for... Uh, the next 30, 40 years. A disquieting note on which to begin. I want to uh, share with you something that I read in the in the children's section of the New York Times, which comes out once a month and which I love. I mean, it says on the cover, never, it's not meant for grown-ups to read. But, um, of course, you tell me I can't do something. I read it, and I, I find that I, I really enjoy it. And um, I just want to read you uh, a line, pretty much one sentence, from uh, the article they did uh, trying to explain to uh, young Americans what impeachment is all about. And they say this, that the Founding Fathers wanted, obviously, a way to be able to remove a president from office because they feared a president becoming essentially a king. 
And uh, this is the quote from, um, from a historian on impeachment. The difficulty for the founders was creating a system that would be able to remove a president only for really substantial reasons. Things like bribery, which involves offering an official presidential act in exchange for personal or political benefit. Or treason, which could involve working with another country to harm your own. Well, there it is. So this expert on impeachment is telling our kids there's really two big reasons that the founding fathers wanted to make sure you could get a president out. One, bribery, which is means an official presidential act in exchange for personal or political benefit. Hello? That's the perfect call. The president, using his awesome powers to withhold hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid to an ally fighting, if fighting, not just for their defense because it might happen someday, currently fighting. Russia, Ukrainians currently dying in the fight with Russia. And the president withheld that aid, which was signed off on by the Congress, bipartisan, until the president of Ukraine did him a favor. And the favor was all about getting political benefit, exactly what the founders thought would clearly be an impeachable offense. The other impeachable offense, treason. Listen to how the expert defines treason. In, it could involve working with another country to harm your own. Well, that might be harder to prove, but even in the impeachment inquiry, we have become uncomfortably aware of how Russia attempted in a, in a months and months and months and maybe years-long campaign to essentially frame Ukraine. Frame Ukraine as responsible for the hacking of America's 2016 election when, of course, they did it. But this was an operation that began in Moscow, not an ally. In fact, an enemy. So we not only have the president buying into this 
absolute lie, this frame framework sponsored by Russia. And inserting it into our politics again. And it's not just Trump. It's the entire Republican Party. If you watch the inquiry, Nunez, Jordan, all the others, they are parroting Putin's talking points about something that is flat out false. It's why Fiona Hill begged them to stop it, that they were furthering the interests of Russia and harming their own country. She was quite clear, and this is her area of expertise. This whole thing started with Russian Russian intelligence services and then is picked up by Devin Nunez, who in fact, even we now find out, flies an hour dime to Ukraine to meet with one of the uh, former... Uh, former, what, the former prosecutor of the totally corrupt Ukrainian government. These guys understand this. Devin Nunez, Giuliani, Trump, all of them are in cahoots with Putin. I think that's treason. Might not. I mean, but, of course, what the Founding Fathers didn't realize is that if you had a Senate made up with treasonous senators, (laughs) they weren't going to find the president they support as uh, guilty. Um, This is um, unsettling to say the lease. <clears throat> Jennifer Rubin, <coughs> excuse me, writing in the Washington Post, and let me be clear, Jennifer Rubin is a Republican, at least she was. She was a conservative Republican op-ed person for the Washington Post. <clears throat> she ain't anymore because she is an honorable person who actually thinks facts matter. And that the party she joined was renowned for going after Russia, was renowned for caring exactly about that. And now they're puppets for Russia? So here, formerly one of their own, Jennifer Rubin, says this, Republicans are not merely violating their oaths of office for failing to support impeachment. And she says, impeachment of a president who 
arguably has committed more serious crimes and misdemeanors and acts of bribery than all his predecessors combined. Because none of our other presidents, as she says, sacrificed national security to obtain a political advantage. The president, she said, has, has been disloyal to the United States, to me, treason, not only in giving Russia a leg up in its war against Ukraine, which it did, but also in broadcasting Russian propaganda. And for that, Republicans are just as guilty. That's why Fiona Hill said to him, guys, guys, you are, you are repeating a fiction, a fictional narrative. She told him, look, this came out of the Russian security services, which also propagated it and then found their useful idiots in the White House and on the Republican side of the aisle. It didn't stop. Her words didn't stop these Republicans at all. She called them out for it, and two seconds later, they're back repeating Putin's lies to the detriment of an ally, Ukraine, which is at war with Russia. We are aiding. This government, Republican-controlled government, is aiding and abetting our enemy over our ally. And people see no impeachment. Here's another piece of information here. In a briefing that closely aligned with Fiona Hill's testimony, American intelligence officials informed senators and their aides in recent weeks that Russia had engaged in a year-long campaign to essentially frame Ukraine as responsible for Moscow's own hacking of our 2016 election. Which, by the way, did you see that Jimmy Carter, former president, suggested over the weekend that Donald Trump was, in fact, an illegitimate president, that he, in fact, would not have won that election without the aid of this enemy state, foreign power, Russia. All of that makes sense when you see how they're trying to defend, deflect, safeguard Russia, the Republicans. And the Republicans have only dug in deeper. It's an amazing and dispiriting thing to witness. So, they need to be called out every day. They need to be defeated. 
I think they are guilty of treason. It's something. I'll give you her last words here. Republicans must bear full responsibility for raising a specious defense of Trump. A specious defense that aids Russia. And the president should be held responsible for his inability to defend our national security by virtue of his susceptibility to Russian propaganda. The Republicans, presumably, have not lost their, po their powers of reason and therefore must be denounced and voted out of office for perpetuating known propaganda from a hostile power. And as for Trump, there are plenty of grounds for impeachment. But she says, let's not forget a big one. He is intellectually incapable of recognizing reality. He cannot carry out the responsibilities of his office. Yeah. And you see what he did just over the weekend. His defense secretary who now goes the way of Mike Pompeo. So we've got the Pentagon in his pocket now. We've got our diplomatic corps. We've got the State Department and the, and the D Defense Department chiefs. Total Trumpers now doing his bidding. The Defense Secretary demanded the resignation of the Naval Secretary. And the naval secretary, what had he done? Nothing! Except push back when the president pardoned a war criminal. The naval secretary's letter of resignation bears listening to because here is somebody here here's one of the people who won't go along and they're they're being thrown out all that will be left very shortly are are enablers and that puts us in a very dangerous place Richard Spencer, who was until yesterday the Naval Secretary, said this, As Secretary of the Navy, one of the most important responsibilities I have to our people is to maintain good order and discipline throughout the ranks. I regard this as deadly serious business. Unfortunately, 
it has become apparent that in this respect, I no longer share the same understanding with the commander-in-chief who appointed me in regards to the key principle of good order and discipline. I cannot in good conscience obey an order that I believe violates the sacred oath I took in the presence of my family, my flag, and my faith to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. We need about 2,000 more letters like that. (laughs) He is saying that to continue to serve this president is to violate the sacred oath he took to defend the Constitution of the United States. This is Trump's own appointee, former Marine, not a member of the cult, someone who puts country over power, personal power, country over party Dave writes I read the children's section of the New York Times every month (laughs) it is really informative and explains things very clearly Often I find items that I think would be beneficial for my granddaughters and pass them, uh, pass it on to them. Absolutely no, but I think it's worth, um, as you said, you learn things because it's put. Do you remember that the guy I'm blanking on his name now, um, who was that Jeopardy champ, the the gambler, and when he was asked, "How the heck do you know so much about so much?" and his trick. He'd go to the library and sit in the children's section and read the books geared to children about history, geography, you name it. Because he said those books are very sort of to the point and often there's pictures that make things stick in your head. So he got all that stuff in his head from exactly reading the children's section. I heard somebody say yesterday, how do you know when a politician's lying when their lips move? Yeah, we've heard that before. I don't, I'm not willing to cast my net that far because I do think that there are people in politics who try mightily, to be honest, in a system that is corrupted, so it's not easy. But Republicans, that I will say, how can you tell when a Republican is lying when their lips are moving?
A case in point. You might recall during the inquiry uh, last week that the loathsome, treasonous, Devin Nunez, the ranking member, as they say, said this as if it was anything of import. Given a chance to address the issues of why they were there and the witnesses that sat before him, he said this, TV ratings are way down, way down. Whatever drug deal the Democrats are cooking up from the dais, dais, the American people aren't buying it. And I remember saying something about it, like TV ratings? That's not what's going on here. It's like the most serious business imaginable. The impeachment of a president, it's only happened twice before in our nation's history. The TV ratings are way down, says one of the president's main enablers. Well, what did I just say? How do you know when a Republican's lying? When their lips are moving. Because, listen to this. America's impeachment hearings drew Monday night football-level viewership. On some days, its ratings topped popular, popular procedurals like NCIS. Did you hear that? Did you know that? The ratings were actually really, really, really good. In terms of total viewership, MSNBC enjoyed the best week in its 23-year history. The ratings are way down. Whatever Devin Nunez says, <coughs> turn it around, 180, and you'll be standing in truth, just like Trump. Again, about the ratings, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., viewership of the big cable news network, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, on impeachment days was nearly double from a year ago. And this blew me away. Overall, it says Fox News was the most popular venue for watching the impeachment hearings. Now, explain that to me. So Fox News, I mean, I myself don't watch Fox News much. Uh, Fox News had the biggest ratings. Not for their, but for the actual impeachment inquiry which suggests that the people who always turned to Fox were actually watching. MSNBC was a close second. And this article goes on to say, now all of this reporting is based on just the six networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, Fox, and CNN. And they don't take in 
the who knows how many hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who were live streaming the inquiry, which I did for some time, or listening on the radio, which I also did, or watching C-SPAN, or PBS, which I also did. So as much as they say these ratings were equivalent of Monday Night Football, in fact, they were probably much bigger. Again, anything Devin Nunez says is a lie. He is lying to protect two dangerous men, Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. Oh, man. Okay, Paul Krugman wrote, and this is so true, <laughs> in a different time, not too long ago, when both parties actually believed in the Constitution, Trump's abuses of his position would have led to his removal from office long ago. And that's the truth. And that's why I and so many others are so unsettled and so frightened. I saw a quote from Werner Herzog, the German director, um, and I, I can't pull it up right now. I'll paraphrase. This is a guy, uh, a German, who was a child during the horrors that his country brought on the world. And he said something to the effect of, well, Americans are now finding out what can happen when one-third of the country seems quite willing to kill another third of the country while the remaining third of the country looks away. Paul Krugman says the GOP is now a thoroughly corrupt party. But Trump is a symptom, not the disease. And our democracy will remain in dire threat, even if and when he is gone. And that is true. Because of that one-third, because of the corruption of one of our major parties, because...
I'm repeating myself. He says the usual uh, reason you hear that the Republicans won't desert him is that they fear being defeated in a primary if they show any hint of wavering from total support of him. And that is certainly a big part of it, he said, but it ain't all. He says, I don't think most observers realize, even now, the extent to which many Republicans view their domestic opponents not as fellow citizens, but as enemies with no legitimate right to govern. He points out, and I have not mentioned this because it was chilling, how the Attorney General of the United States, William Barr, fully in Trump's lap, gave a speech the other day in which he said things that were so outrageous for an Attorney General of the United States to say it was totally political, totally and he said that I, you, anybody who was seeing Trump clearly, who don't support Trump, who want him out, the Attorney General of the United States said that we are out to, quote, destroy the traditional moral order. Now, that is what one-third of the country is, has been taught already. And they already see us as the enemy. There's another third that's, I don't know. It's also notable, says Krugman, that with few exceptions, even Republicans who are leaving, and this is true, who have said, I'm not running, and there's a ton of them, I'm not running again for re-election, I'm, I'm not. Those who have already left and those who say they won't run again, they have not spoken out against Trump. They're leaving. They don't have to worry about being primary, but they have not spoken out against Trump. And Krugman points out that's also unsettling because it suggests that they know that if they do speak out, they're finished. In the private sector, they're finished. Because what do former members of Congress do once they get out? They use that network and power to become lobbyists, to... Right Now, if you're on the Republican side, you lobby for Republican kinds of people. So they, they realize that Trump still owns them, even if they get out, if they want a job at Fox News, if they want a job at a right-wing think tank, if they want a job as a lobbyist 
it's a kind of right-wing welfare. And they know they will not be taken care of if even in their leaving of Washington, they dare to criticize. I'll leave you with Krugman's last words. The modern GOP as a whole is overwhelmingly fanatical, corrupt, or both. Anyone imagining that the mountainous evidence of Trump's malfeasance will lead to a moral awakening or that Republicans will return to democratic political norms is living in a fantasy world. Even a catastrophic electoral defeat next November probably won't do much to change Republican behavior. The big question is whether America, as we know it, can long endure when one of its two major parties has effectively rejected the principles on which our nation was built. Uh, this from, oh, this saying that, you know, Donald Trump Jr. and Eric Trump's wife are <coughs> potentially gearing up for elective office. Uh, as you know, uh, Representative Peter King of uh, New York has, is one of these Republicans who has said, I'm not going to seek re-election. He represents uh, part of Long Island. Um, and apparently these two, uh, their names have been dropped into the mix. Uh, hmm. So, I don't know, what do I have here? Um, I just, here's a, I want to say, first of all, and I, I guess I didn't bring anything with me, I just remembered, um, the uh, election, the, the, the local elections in Hong Kong uh, were uh, pretty amazing, uh, in case you hadn't seen. Um, the pro-democracy folks just won overwhelmingly. Now, these are pretty low-level, um, local kind of elections. But the pro-Beijing candidates were just wiped away, which is something that Beijing now has got to come to terms with, that they do not have majority support in Hong Kong. And then, in fact, the support in Hong Kong is going to those extraordinarily brave young people in the streets. And some of those young people, in fact, stood for election to these offices. So long, long-term 
incumbents who were who were deferential and doing China's bidding have been replaced now by people as young as 23 years old, <laughs> people who've been in the streets. One of them, uh, the his his campaign pictures that he put out had him in a mask and a gas mask and all this, just saying, letting people know who he was. He won overwhelmingly. Record turnout. Given a choice, people want democracy. People don't want to live under the thumbs of a few despots. I don't know how, what will possibly happen because China is not going to let Hong Kong humiliate it, I don't think. I just pray for those kids. Um, this weekend, um, on uh, a British uh, subway, the underground, a young boy and his father were sitting on the train, and a man came up to them. He was holding a Bible, and he stood in front of the boy and started sort of screaming passages from the Bible at him. The boy, I should say, and his father were wearing skull caps, identifying themselves as Jews. So while this man was screaming at the boy, the father put his arm around the child and kept trying to reassure the child. The poor child is kept saying, Daddy, Daddy, what's happening? Another passenger got up to object and the guy with the Bible turned on him and started swearing at him and making threats and saying, if you get in my face, I'm going to smack you in the nose, blah, blah, blah. And, and that guy backed away. The guy with the Bible turns again toward the little boy. And then another passenger gets up. A woman. A woman who was wearing a headscarf. A Muslim woman. And she told him, There are these are children here. You need to stop. And he turned on her. She did not back down. And I just, this thing got filmed. You know, someone was on there with him and they filmed the whole thing. So you got this Bible quoting guy targeting a Jewish child 
And who comes to their defense but a Muslim woman? And that's the most heartening little bit of news that uh, I came across um, this weekend. I'm sure there are more. But um, the guy, by the way, has been arrested because apparently in, I don't think you could get arrested in this country for that. Could you? It'd be, uh, I mean, he didn't physically threaten the boy. He was just haranguing the boy and the father. But um, in England, he was uh, arrested on suspicion of having committed a racially aggravated public order offense. Uh, I don't know. Our First Amendment might protect him here. I have no idea. But, by the way, um, anti-Semitic attacks um, and incidents in, in, in England are just sky high. Sky high. Right now. The highest ever recorded. So, um, what else do I have here? Oh, a kind of ob- it is an obit. It's an obit. Um, a woman who you wouldn't know. Never heard of her myself. But a woman who, when she was an infant, sort of became famous. And then she went on and lived her life. But it's the picture of her as a baby that you would recognize. Uh, She lived a a long life. She wrote mystery novels. She died at the age of 93. Her name is Ann Turner Cook. And um, she was the Gerber baby. Do people know what the Gerber baby was? It was her, the drawing of that little Gerber baby face that was the face of the largest baby food um, producer in the world. Um, People were constantly trying to guess who this child was and their... um, it was finally revealed, her identity was revealed in 1978. People thought it was Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, the Gerber baby. Can you see her? Can you see that? Because I... 
oh, wait a minute, she didn't die. What am I doing? That's why I thought, no, she's alive. I'm sorry, Ms. Cook. Jeez, no, this is not an obit. This is an article about the fact that the Gerber baby just turned 93 on Wednesday. I thought it was her... My apologies. So she was four months old. And uh, it was just a sketch of her that a neighbor had done and sent in. And that is that that face can't still be on Gerber baby products, is it? Is that still the logo? Because this, it started in 1928. It'd be, um, well, like as old as she is. 93. And most... I, and when I was in Chicago this last weekend, driving on the expressway there, I drove by a Morton Salt factory, and there was that um, iconic little girl with the umbrella, a big, you know, big rendition of it on the side of the building. When it rains, it pours. Morton Salt. Is that still in use? I think so. There are some of these old logos that have, I guess, been deemed still powerful and unchanging. You know, somebody like Betty Crocker, the picture of Betty Crocker on Betty Crocker cookbooks changed over time when Betty started looking a little, you know, the hairstyle wasn't right, this and that. They they, they would change her. I mean, this, I can't imagine the number of uh, meetings and sleepless nights that uh, people went... But, but I, I don't know. I think the Gerber baby's still, she's still there. And I think the Morton Salt little girl is still there, which is some serious staying power. Just want to say, that's pretty impressive. Um, oh. Oh, thank you. I really hate that. I hate that. Milton. Okay, he checked Snopes.com and said the alleged quote from Herzog, the German director, is this. Dear America, you are waking up, as Germany once did, to the awareness that one-third of your people would kill another third while one-third watches. Okay, I, I had it pretty right, right. Um, Snope says he did not say or write that. The quote originated with a message posted by the Werner Twertzog Twitter account. You know, I can't stand it anymore. How we all end up purveyors of falsehoods of the Werner Twertzog account is run by a professor of American literature at Hope College in Holland, Michigan a guy named William Panapacker who 
Well, how, then how does it make the jump? And I wonder where I saw it. Oh, I saw it on Twitter. So some, you got to be careful. Thank you, Milton, for that. I appreciate it. Margaret says we have to vote Trump out. Yeah. How are we going to do that? I'm just asking. I don't know. I really don't know. The fact that I live in a country in which it is not just a, an assure, a sure thing <laughs> that he will be voted out is, again, extraordinarily dispiriting. Um, I hate to depress you with more stuff, but I... Why is everything so damn depressing? Dang it. Uh, there was this piece in the Wall Street Journal that just made me sick. It was, I didn't even know this agency existed. There is um, a medical agency that only serves Native Americans. It's called the Indian Health Service. And I guess they are on uh, reservations throughout the country. And there was a piece on how the Indian Health Service is woefully understaffed, is so understaffed that it hires doctors who have been thrown out of other states for malpractice, doctors who can't get certified, they can always find work at the Indian Health Services. Because after all, they're Indians. Come on. And there are stories in this investigative piece that the journal did that just here's a guy there was a surgeon from Pennsylvania his name is Frank Wolf he was sued for malpractice at least 11 times in Pennsylvania over an 8 year period now let me tell you something that's a record setter I mean, the average for doctors in the United States is one malpractice suit in 20 years. Here's a guy practicing in Pennsylvania, not sure where, who had been sued for malpractice 11 times in eight years, which is mind-boggling. People who he operated on died with alarming regularity. They had, uh, you know, he'd go in to do a regular sort of surgery and he would pierce intestines. And, I, and this guy, of course, got hired by the government, the Indian Health Service in Shiprock, New Mexico, where he went on killing people 
He cut a tube connecting a patient's liver to his stomach. He punctured a man's intestines during a gallbladder surgery. All of these led to malpractice suits, which you paid for. That last guy died, by the way. And guess what he got? I mean, I'm sorry. If you go into a hospital at, for a relatively normal surgery and the surgeon kills you, what do you think that'd be worth in a malpractice suit? You know what this guy gets? It's probably because he's an Indian, a Native American. He was awarded the family of the deceased $170,000. And there's this woman, good God, she'd been disciplined by medical boards in Florida, in New York. For some reason, Pennsylvania still had her as a okay doc. She eventually ends up treating these poor Native Americans. And one, an 18-year-old guy, kid, who was complaining of dizziness went in, and she saw him, and she said, you got pink eye, and let him go. Within a week, he suffered a stroke, had brain damage, is now in a wheelchair, cannot speak, requires 24-hour care. The government settled with his family for one million dollars. It's un you read this thing. They've hired guys who w had been accused multiple times of sexually abusing patients. And this is because probably underfunding, who knows what. Um, but you read this, and it is just appalling. So, just wanted to tell you a few things that maybe had escaped your purview uh, over the last three days, and that's what I got. Um... I'll see you again tomorrow. My sister Susan.